Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Kingdom Culture. We are living in the midst of cultural changes that most of us have never experienced. As a result, we see an ensuing chaos that some have dubbed the culture of outrage. However, as followers of Jesus, we are called to build a kingdom culture. This 12-part message series, Kingdom Culture, is focused on doing God's will to see the culture of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Well, welcome again, everyone, to Valley Brook Community Church. We're glad you're joining us here on campus and online. We're grateful that you are here. Look, as we all continue to walk through 2020 and all of the challenges that it faces each of us with, we know this has been a challenging year for everyone. With the coronavirus, with the racial unrest, with the polarization in our country, it's been difficult, and we know uh, that it's not going away anytime soon. Uh, As a church, we've been going through our own changes, which have brought their own challenges and have also been difficult, but here's what we all need to know. None of this ever surprised God. In his omniscience, in his sovereignty, he knew that this was coming. It did not catch him off guard. Now, we know personally that that all of these challenges can be emotionally and spiritually taxing, even overwhelming. But God made a promise to us in the Old Testament and the New Testament. His promise was that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. And so he knew this was coming. But he knew that he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. As followers of Christ, we need to trust God. We need to continue to follow Jesus. We need to live our lives embracing the culture of the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated when he came to this earth. Honestly, that's why we think this kingdom culture study that we're in right now is so important for us right now because it's calling us all at the same time to live in the kingdom culture. Instead of following the ways of the world, God is calling us to follow him and to trust in his ways. So I want to encourage you to join in the kingdom culture study. Uh, In that study, we're going to be studying God's word together. We're going to be worshiping together. We want to encourage you to join a life group because we believe that when we do this together in community, we can sharpen each other. We can care for one another. We can encourage one another. And as you've heard us say, those life groups are available online and in person and a hybrid model. So everyone can join regardless of how you're walking through this season. So we want to encourage you to do that. You can find out more by going to our website at valleybrook.cc. But I want to really encourage you to lean into this time for your own spiritual and emotional health and growth. Look, today in the kingdom culture, we're going to look at the truth that God is loving. And to be more specific, I believe that the kingdom culture that God inaugurated loves lavishly. Now, why do I choose the word lavish? I choose it because that's what Scripture says about how God loves us. In John's first letter, he writes these words. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God has lavished his love on us. To be lavish is to be generous and to be extravagant. God's love 
for us, for everyone, is generous, it's extravagant. We know that Jesus loved us lavishly by dying to pay for our sins so that we could be saved and enter his kingdom. And as our king, Jesus commands us to follow his example of loving others lavishly when he said these words, as I have loved you, you must love one another. We must love others. Linda Wilson Allen uh, takes this command to heart, to love others as she has been loved. She's a bus driver for the Metro Transit System in San Francisco. And in a front page article in the San Francisco Chronicle uh, about her, this is what I learned about this lady. She loves the people who ride on her bus. She learns their names and she waits for them even if they're late. And she makes up that time later on her route. A woman in her 80s one day named Ivy had some heavy grocery bags and she was struggling with them to get on the bus. So what did, what did she do? Linda parked her bus, got out of her driver's seat and helped Ivy carry her grocery bags. Now Ivy lets all the other buses pass when she's waiting for the bus so that she can ride on Linda's bus. On another day, Linda saw a woman named Tanya waiting in the bus shelter. She could tell that Tanya was new to the area, that she was sort of lost. And it was almost Thanksgiving. So Linda said to Tanya, you're out here all by yourself. You don't know anybody. So come over to my house for Thanksgiving and let's just hang out with my kids. And now they're friends. Linda has built such a little community of blessing on that bus that passengers offer her the use of their vacation homes. They bring her potted plants and floral bouquets. When people learn that she likes to wear a scarf to accessorize her bus uniform, they started giving those presents to Linda. Now think about it. Think about the thankless task of driving a bus every day in this world. There are cranky passengers, there are engine failures, there are traffic jams, there's gum on the seats to clean. And ask yourself, how does this woman love people like she does? How does she have this attitude? Well, she told the San Francisco Chronicle that she sets her mood every morning at 2.30 in the morning. She gets down on her knees and she prays for 30 minutes to God. You see, Linda's a Christian and she says, you know what? There's a lot to talk about with the Lord. And that's what I do before I go to work. When she gets to the end of her line uh, every day, she says, that's all folks. I love you. Take care. Have you ever had a bus driver tell you they love you? But that's what Linda does. Think about it. Where can you find a little piece of the kingdom of God on earth? You can find it on Linda's bus every day that she's driving it. Why? Because she loves people lavishly like the culture of the kingdom of God calls us to do. Let's talk about what loving lavishly looks like. The first thing I want you to see is this. Kingdom love has empathy. Kingdom love has empathy. You know, that's really what's missing a whole lot from our world right now. Uh, it's easy to say you love someone, but can you empathize with them? And, and empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. Can you do that? God can. 
In the book of Hebrews, we learn that God in Jesus empathizes with us. Look at what it says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What does this tell us about God? It tells us that God is not far off and distant. On the contrary, it tells us that God has come close to us in Jesus, that through the incarnation, he became human and he experiences experienced everything we experience. I appreciate what Professor Ed Stetzer writes. He says, the picture is of a Savior who is simultaneously enthroned in heaven, yet intimately familiar with our trials and temptations. In other words, Jesus is both all-powerful and imminently approachable. And it is precisely because of this empathy that the author of Hebrews implores us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You see, the love of Jesus Christ disarms our suspicions and emboldens us to approach him and to find the love and the reconciliation we crave. Folks, Jesus has been through everything we have been through. God the Son has been through it. 2020 seems overwhelming to us, but Jesus knows what we know and has experienced it. This is empathetic love that welcomes us to approach God just as we are at any time to find grace and mercy and love. In the midst of this crazy year, Jesus knows what it's like to feel what we feel. He knows what we're experiencing. He's with us. So think about that. We're called to love others lavishly. That means to empathize, them, empathize with them. So what if we ask ourselves, do we listen to others and seek to understand one another's feelings and experiences like Christ understood and understands us? That would be loving others lavishly. But the lavish love of the kingdom has more than just empathy. It also has humility. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. He did what he was supposed to do on earth, and he did it humbly. He willingly went to the cross to save the world. He didn't seek fame and fortune. He didn't use his, his divinity to escape what was coming to him. He quietly and humbly spread out his arms on a cross and died for the sins of the world. The apostles, his disciples, understood the power of humility. In fact, they told their brothers and sisters in Christ to clothe themselves in humility. In other words, just to put it on, to live in it, to, to live a humble life. Look at what Peter wrote. He said, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Recently, I, I heard a woman say that uh, 
Humility is her superpower. Um, I want you to notice in this passage from Peter where the humility is directed. It's not being humble for humbleness sake. It's humility directed toward others. Now, the apostle Paul, before he was going to go into that famous scripture in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus, how he humbled himself even to death on a cross. This is what he said to the believers in the church in Philippi. In humility, value others above yourselves. In humility, value others above yourselves. Let me give you an example of what humility looks like. You know, there have long been tensions between the fast food company Chick-fil-A and the LGBTQ community. Those stresses have deep and sensitive roots stemming from disagreements about beliefs, about marriage, same-sex marriage, as well as the company's donations to certain organizations. The, resident, the, the restaurant's president and COO, Dan Cathy, is open about his Christian beliefs, including his position on marriage. Shane Winmeyer is an activist for an LGBTQ community and the founder and executive director of Campus Pride. Shane's also a gay man. Because of their different worldviews, you would expect Kathy and Winmeyer to consider each other enemies and to be open about their anger and outrage toward each other. I mean, after all, this is the type of behavior that is all too commonplace when two sides disagree in today's culture, even on things of lesser importance than one's personal lifestyle. But when Meyer and Kathy consider themselves friends, and their friendship was born out of a humble dialogue that happened in the midst of disagreement. You may remember in 2012, at the height of this controversy between the LGBTQ activist groups like Campus Pride and Chick-fil-A, what was going on in our culture then, Winmeyer received an unexpected phone call from Kathy. This private phone call led to a series of calls and texts and in-person conversations. Both men listened and treated each other with respect. Although neither changed their core beliefs, they had a productive dialogue that led to a friendship. We learned about each other as people with opposing views, recalls Winmeyer, not as opposing people, just people with opposing views, but not opposing people. Eventually, Kathy invited Winmeyer to be his personal guest at the Chick-fil-A Bowl in New York on New Year's Eve in 2012. Both men, honestly, they risked fallout from their respective supporting groups by being seen together, but they chose to do it anyway. Their dialogue has had an impact on their lives and on their organizations, and they pledged to not be hostile toward each other. The example set by these two men prove that it's possible for change to occur when groups are humbly willing to listen to one another with mutual respect. This is the path that Jesus calls us to. And it's much better than the culture of outrage that we live in. You know, what those two men did took humility to care for one another and to listen to one another, even when everyone else in society was pitting them against one another as enemies. 
Dan Cathy's faith in Christ led him in humility to value Shane Winmeyer above himself and reach out across the angry and bitter cultural divide. And something amazing happened, a friendship. Folks, the lavish love of the kingdom culture clothes itself in humility to love one another, to see one another, and love people as we have been loved. The kingdom culture also loves lavishly by embracing the concept of imagio Dei. God created humankind in his image. The Latin term for that is the imagio Dei, which means image of God. Just think about that, that God created us in our image, in his image. Uh, Of all the things that God created, we are, humans are, the only things that God created in his image. We see this in the book of Genesis. In chapter 1, we read, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. A little further in the book of Genesis, we see God explicitly outlawing murder Why? Because it defaces the image of God in humanity. Let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 9. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. God was saying we should not murder because we're murdering someone created in the image of God. Now, these scriptures speak to the value that every single person has because we are all made in the image of God and we should therefore honor every human being, regardless if we agree about their social positions or their political positions or anything else. We need to love them because they are created in the image of God because they're image bearers of God. I'm looking out right now at a whole bunch of image bearers of God. I appreciate the words of Christopher Wright, who speaks about what it means for us to bear the image of God. He writes, The image of God idea forms the basis of the radical equality of human beings, regardless of gender, ethnicity, religion, or any form of social, economic, or political status. Christian mission must therefore treat all human beings with dignity, equality, and respect. When we look at any other person, we do not see a label stating who or what that person is. Instead, we see the image of God. We see someone created by God, addressed by God, accountable to God, loved by God, valued by God. Think about how Jesus taught, how he treated people. He saw each individual as someone created in the image of God, and therefore each person had value to him because they were image bearers. When Jesus reached out to people whom were just considered sinful trash by many people in that day, he saw people of worth. Think about the tax collector named Zacchaeus, or the woman caught in adultery, and others like the woman at the well, like his own disciples who were considered misfits and outcasts. He values 
all people because he sees the image of God in each person. Now let's think about the polarized nature of the world we live in today. People constantly vilify others and destroy them with their words face-to-face, on social media, and on the news. But for Christ followers, we should never fall into the ways of the world because we of all people have been saved by grace and should see each person as bearing the image of God whom God loves and whom he sent his son to die for. Interesting, a recent study showed that when people see people as bearing the image of God, it influences their ethical decision-making. John Evans is a sociologist at the University of California, and he analyzed data from 3,500 U.S. adults in order to find out how they saw people. The results, those who believed humans to bear the image of God held a more humanitarian attitude toward people than those who didn't see people bearing the image of God. They were more kind. They didn't see euthanasia as something to do to cut costs. They didn't see the idea of uh, buying organs for transplants as something they should do. They recognized that each person was valuable because they bore the image of God. Every single person is valuable. When we love lavishly, like the culture of the kingdom of God, we will see one another as created in the image of God, as image bearers, regardless of how we get along, of how we agree on things. We'll see them as image bearers and we'll start to love them for who they are, not what they believe or what they do. Finally, I want to say this about how we love lavishly. Kingdom love has sacrifices. Kingdom love has sacrifices. Look at these words about how God loves us. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be, perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were far off from God, while we were enemies to God. I appreciate the writing of Philip Reiking about this kingdom value of sacrifice. He said, most kingdoms do anything they can do to protect their king. That's the unspoken premise of the game of chess, for example. When the king falls, the kingdom is lost. Therefore, the king must be protected at all costs. We've seen that throughout history. One notable example comes from the Allied invasion of Normandy on D-Day, June 6, 1944. You may not have known this, but British Prime Minister Winston Churchill desperately wanted to join the expeditionary forces and watch the invasion from the bridge of a battleship in the English Channel. U.S. General Dwight D. Eisenhower was desperate to stop him for fear that the Prime Minister might be killed in the battle. When it became apparent that Churchill would not be dissuaded, 
Eisenhower appealed to a higher authority. He went to King George VI. Uh, the king went and told Churchill that if it was the prime minister's duty to witness the invasion, he could only conclude that it was also his duty as king to join him on the battleship. At that point, Churchill reluctantly agreed to back down, for he knew that he could never expose the king of England to such danger. King Jesus, our king, did the exact opposite thing. With royal courage, he surrendered his body to be crucified. On the cross, he offered a king's ransom, his life, for the life of his people, his subjects. He would die for all the wrong things that we had done and that we would do, completely atoning, paying for our sins. The crown of thorns that was meant to make a mockery of his royal claims actually proclaimed his kingship, even in death. That's the lavish love of God. It's sacrificial. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to love one another sacrificially. That's, that's loving generously. That's loving lavishly. When we think about the lavish love of God and how we're called to embrace that and share that, and we think about where we are in the world and in this year and everything that's been going on, we have to recognize that followers of Jesus Christ are called to be the church, the hands and feet of Jesus in good times and in difficult times. That means we're supposed to, to love people lavishly because our king has shown us how to love people lavishly regardless of the season of life that we're in. I was thinking about it this week. You know, there's uh, seven and a half billion people in the world, and according to demographers, uh, about 2.5 billion people are Christ followers. What would happen? What would happen if Christ followers would just begin to love others lavishly like God has loved us? I mean, you can see how it could change the world if we would just embrace the culture of the kingdom of God that we've been given. And that's our challenge. To love as we have been loved. I want to challenge you to think about how you can implement that this week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.